0: exposition of the passage here in Paul's farewell speech. And our text today could be found on page 930 in your ESV Pew Bibles, beginning in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. And I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish every one with tears. And I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. When he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, And there was such weeping on the part of all, they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this privilege that we could sit under the ministry of your word. Thank you for your word in preserving the holy writ for us for thousands of years, O Lord, Your Word is perfectly preserved. It is pure. It is it is in, it is instruction to our soul. O Lord, it is guidance for our lives. And O Lord, through Your Word we learn who You are. O Lord, You reveal Yourself to us. We learn who You are. We we get to know You better through the Bible. O God, open our hearts, enlarge our hearts today for You. Help us to see Christ today in the scripture. And I pray that as we hear the words today, that it would change us and, and, and sanctify us, O Lord, and, and turn our way from the world and from sin and turn us towards you in godliness. O Lord, forgive us and have mercy on us for our sins. I pray now, O Lord, also for a divine unction, O Lord, as I preach, O Lord God, may your Holy Spirit illuminate my heart and my mind, and by my, my lips, be anointed by your Spirit to speak forth that which is glorifying to you. And, O oh Lord, I pray that every one of us here would have hearts to understand, behold, and to apply what we learn. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Proverbs 27:12 says to us, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple... Go on and suffer for it. Short Proverb, but speaks world words and <laughs> of wisdom, intense wisdom here. A wise person looks ahead. A wise person is cautious and careful and sees danger. And they and they prepare and they, they make they make necessary adjustments to their life or to their schedule in order to avoid a danger that could be threatening. The simpleton simply parges through life, never considering what's at stake, just careless. And as it says, they suffer for it. Earlier this week, as I said, with that surprise storm, and I think it was a total of 500 actions altogether with uh, Westchester County and the metro region, we we see that that's exactly what caused us to have a delay today, right? There was that sense of cautiousness, prediction of freezing rain, and although we could have just had service at 11, we pushed it back a little bit uh, with the idea of avoiding any potential danger that could come about. And I think this is this is good, right? There's two extremes. There are some people who are overly cautious and overly thoughtful about dangers ahead, and They become so afraid of any danger or risk that they are become paralyzed with fear and they cannot do anything. We've seen this happen in the midst of the pandemic in the last year where many people have become paralyzed by fear. Some have been unable to leave their house for a very long period of time. But you see, you you can run from the virus, but if God wants you to get it, he'll send it right through your window and it'll get you. At the same time, there are others who are utterly careless. They just go through life and say, well, I don't believe in any kind of mitigation or any kind of protection. Just go through life and whatever happens, happens. We've seen quite a number of people with that attitude perish because of their folly. It is good to look forward and be watchful and to be careful to see potential danger. It is wise to take Precaution. It is wise when we monitor dangers and prepare for them. We know what it is to be watchful, right? Those of you who have investments, watch the stock market. You monitor the ups and downs of the Nasdaq or the Dow Jones, or uh, if you're in the money markets or cryptocurrency, which I'm recently learning about. Um, there's so much happening with crypto. I just learned what an NFT was. Does anybody here know what an NFT is? Like two two people, okay? And it's obviously the younger generation. I just learned today what an NFT is. It's a digital trading card, essentially, and people pay up to millions of dollars depending who issues this trading. It's just things are are rapidly changing in society, isn't we? You, you really, it's it's almost impossible. To keep up. If you're looking for a house, you're watchful of the housing market. But the bottom line is we are understand the process of what it is to be aware of potential dangers and to be watchful and to be alert and to be prepared. In this sense, this is exactly what Paul is telling the elders of Ephesus in his farewell speech to them. The Apostle Paul um, in this farewell speech, as it says here, with tears, many times with tears, had admonished Uh, the saints here in Ephesus. He admonished the elders day and night to prepare them for the coming day when he would no longer be around. This farewell speech was a farewell, not just that he wouldn't return to Ephesus, but inwardly, Paul knew his ministry was coming to an end soon. And we'll start looking at that beginning next week. In this speech that he gives in chapter 20, we looked at the first half this week, where Paul lays out a defense of his own public ministry. Part of that is included in our passage today, where Paul reminds his listeners that he worked with his own hands to provide for his ministry, never taking a penny from anyone. But it was much more than that. It was a man who labored in the word. It was a man who served God. It was a man who passionately gave of himself to the people that he ministered and served to. He set the bar really high for what pastoral ministry is to look like. As I said last week, when Paul says, follow me, for I follow Christ, the standard is pretty high. And I'm looking at Paul now. He imparts to the elders, the pastors of Ephesus, those who would carry the torch of pastoral ministry at the end of the apostolic age in which Paul was an apostle and a church planter. He reminds them of their responsibilities and he imparts to them instructions in the form of a warning, be watchful, take heed. The word in Greek here, prosecco, literally means to beware of danger ahead, be watchful. The concept going to the watchman who, who sits in a tower and watches for enemy threats from afar. And upon seeing the, the danger, the threat alerts the city of, of the impending danger, and the army gets ready to defend the city. Ezekiel speaks of the watchman in Ezekiel 33, and Paul alludes to that himself when he says, I am innocent of all your blood, in verse uh, um, um, 27, 26 rather, because he didn't, fail to warn the people of all the dangers that could potentially come about. But now it's time for the Ephesian elders to be reminded of their responsibility that they need to be watchful too. And they need to be those who warn the flock of potential dangers to come. There's three three warnings laid out for us today. Watch out for yourselves. Watch out for the flock And last but not least, watch out for imposters. Let's look for the first one. Watch out for yourselves. Watch yourselves. It says here in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. Again, that word prosecco is used there. It means watch out for yourselves or take heed to yourselves, as the King James Version would put it. In other words, Paul is reminding these, these men, the plurality of elders who are pastoring the church, that they are not going to be effective in pastoring others if they are not watching over themselves, if they're not caring for themselves pastorally. They need to be aware of their own weaknesses and inadequacies and keeping themselves accountable before God. Sadly, in the last several years we have seen many pastors fall away from the faith, many scandals that have gotten into the public eye, and and it's, it's shameful, it, it's embarrassing. Every time it happens, it's a black eye to the church, and unbelievers, and those who mock and jeer at the church as it is, say, ha ha, look, again, another hypocrite, another phony, and it just makes the church look awful, and it almost seems to be a repetition I I like to read the Christian Post um uh, once or twice a week on on the internet it's a um it's it's like a news source and a news media outlet and um and sadly they they love to report on these things so I find out all of the scandals all over the country it just seems they they thrive on reporting it and um and making it seem how scandalous things are going uh but imagine we know very little imagine how much more the lord knows And so therefore, it's very important that pastors watch out for themselves. Uh, Paul instructed Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul's instruction to Timothy, Timothy was one of his uh, uh, collaborators who worked with him in the missionary team. And as we see later in Paul's life, Timothy would take up a great amount of Paul's work, being his spokesman, visiting the churches, preaching and teaching. And he's reminding Timothy, watch yourself. Watch over yourself. And watch over your doctrine. Be careful. And so doing, not only do you save yourself, but you save your listeners. He's not talking about salvation in the complete sense. We're saved by grace and by grace alone. Our good works do not save us. But he's reminding us that, that through the ministry of the word, salvation is imparted. When, when our lives are in harmony with what we preach, there's going to be a greater impact in the lives of people. When there's disharmony and inconsistency, in whether it's in our doctrine or it's in our life, and I've seen both ends. I've seen really godly men, holy, holy, godly men who have horrible doctrine. And then I've seen people have really good doctrine and they're really ungodly men. Neither one works good. You've got to watch over your life and watch over your doctrine. He is urging Timothy to watch over his walk with God. It's not just orthodoxy, but it's his life. It's, it's, it's how he, he lives, how he thinks, how he ministers. I find that this is something that pastors find themselves in trouble often. And as a pastor, I can vouch that it's very easy to slip through the cracks. There's less accountability, you're, you're alone many times, and, and when you're alone, you, you don't have as many people around you. Some of the, the highest ranking pastors in this country who have fallen have, have admitted that the reason why they fell was, there was zero accountability especially if you're a celebrity pastor. Everybody's looking up to you. It's very hard to say, "Well, pastor, how are you doing in your walk today? And in so doing, those pastors are hurt. It's not just the scandalous end of it, but we look at it also from the angle that these are Christians. These are men who've been put in positions of great responsibility. And because there wasn't any kind of uh, structure or mechanism in place to have accountability, these men fall. And it's a sad thing. It's a very sad thing. So I think when he's saying keep watch over yourselves, it's not just a personal matter, but he's addressing who are the audience? The plurality of elders of Ephesus. This is why it is so important that a church has a plurality of elders. When you have one man, who's the star of the show and he's running the show and nobody could tell him otherwise, you're setting yourself up for a fall. But when you have a plurality of elders, you shepherd each other. I thank God for Pastor Paul because he's my pastor. I may be pastor of grace and truth and Paul may be pastor of grace and truth, but we shepherd and pastor each other. And that's necessary and vital for any healthy ministry. But I also think there's a component to this that we must be watchful over ourselves as believers. Again, as I, I, these instructions are given to pastors and elders, but who are pastors and elders? Christians. And so the, there is an implication here, an implied directive to all Christians, all who follow Christ. We need to watch over ourselves. You need to watch over your life. If you're negligent, haphazard, and careless... You'll fall to ruin, just like we read in Proverbs seventeen. You'll be like the simpleton who just goes forward. And when your faith is a shipwreck, well, well, you weren't watchful. You didn't. You didn't foresee the danger. You, or like it said in our in our confession, you didn't tremble at the threatenings of God's word. You didn't take it seriously. Luke twenty one verses thirty four through thirty six, Jesus says this: Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life and a day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth but stay awake at all times praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Watch yourselves. Christ is issuing this warning to the church in the midst of his, his prophesying of his second coming. And he's saying the possibility of your heart being weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and cares of this life is a very real potential. We all have problems in life, right? We all have things that, that, that annoy us. We have issues. We have trials, tribulations. But what happens when you allow those problems to weigh you down? You grow faint of heart. You grow weak in faith. You're not as watchful. Instead of relying on the power of the spirit in your life, you, you start going to the bottle and looking for ways to numb the pain or the frustration and anger you feel. It leads to dissipation. You're not thinking level-headed or clear-minded no more. You're just in the flesh and whatever comes to mind, you feel and you think. Christ says, be watchful lest that day come upon you like a trap. Instead of being letting go and being careless rather we need to stay awake verse 36 staying awake remember when peter uh, is joining christ for prayer in the garden of gethsemane he says keep watch and pray what does peter do he falls asleep the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak saying the flesh is weak is not an excuse to sin it's a reminder that the flesh will always drag us away from god be alert, be awake, be watchful. Take it seriously and pray that you may have the strength to escape when these things take place. Are we ready to stand before Christ on Judgment Day? If the Lord were to call you home today, could you stand before God with a clear conscience? I think of those things. Galatians 6.1 one. Listen to this, brothers, if any one of you is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Another warning for us, to keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is an amazing passage because, right, we all like to, it's easy for us to see the sins in others, but very difficult to see the sins in ourselves, right? Right. Oftentimes, we are expert detectives in seeing the sins in others. We're great at it. But seeing the sin within, no, that's hard. There's a warning here. Spiritual people should seek to restore those who are fallen away, those who are apostate. If there's someone in the church in sin, if you're proud, you should not be the person. If you're not doing too well yourself, you should not be the person trying to restore that individual seek someone who is more spiritually minded why here's the thing it is very dangerous seeking to restore someone who's in sin and the warning is this watch over yourself what lest you too be tempted and pulled into the sin I can't tell you and, and if you've never experienced this trust me it will happen I have I have tried to reach out when people are in really in the slough of sin and really in a bad place And when someone's in a bad place and you sit and you talk with them, they're going to start talking to you. They're going to start reasoning and justifying and excusing their sin. And if you don't have a good foundation, you'll start believing the lies that they're lying to themselves with. You might find yourself, instead of pulling that person out of their sin, saying, hmm, I think they got something there. And you might find yourself getting sucked in. Be watchful. Be watchful. No one is so mighty that they don't have to be watchful. If you think you're so spiritual that you could never get deceived or pulled away, then you obviously do not know the sin nature. And you obviously are simple and not seeing the danger within your own heart. The power of sin the corrupting power of sin is menacing it is dangerous that even spiritual people who are dealing with the sin in another person's life are in danger of getting pulled into sin themselves be watchful also second john verse 8 says this watch yourselves watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for but may win a full reward. The warning here is to watch yourselves ultimately so that you do not fall away from Christ. Now we know the Bible teaches us very clearly that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. We know that in God's sovereign grace, if you are saved, God doesn't doesn't save you and then change his mind or relinquish that salvation. Or God doesn't save you and says, okay, I saved you now. It's up to you to stay saved because if you don't do everything the way I say, I'm going to unsave you. No, we rest in the perfect work of Christ that justifies and sanctifies us once and for all, forever. If we're going to get across that finish line, it's because of the finished work of Christ, not because of anything I did. However, there are so many warnings in the Scripture. Two believers, two Christians to remind us that that saving faith and I like Brother Eric had sent me a video earlier this week will always result in sin killing obedience Nick's a quote from John Piper saving faith will always result in sin killing obedience to just live whatever way you want and not be watchful you are in danger of falling away, and exposing that you were never saved to begin with. Take heed, Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten twelve. Take heed, you who think you stand, lest ye fall. So there is a warning here. The first warning is watch over yourselves. This warning is issued to pastors and elders. And, more, and how much more. Why? Because we care for the flock of God. And that's what a pastor and elder can't do his job watching the flock of God if he's not watching over himself. But it is for all of us to consider how we can be watchful over our lives. That brings me to my second point. The elders of Ephesus are instructed to watch out for the flock of God. Now, There are many metaphors used in the Bible to describe God's people, to describe the church. Uh, It's described as the household of God. It is is a family. It is described as as a vine, John 15. Some branches are chopped off and some are pruned. And and so we, we see there are many metaphors. But one of the main metaphors used in the Bible to describe God's people is a flock of sheep. Going back to Isaiah 53, we're told that we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each to his own way. In a very real sense, we are sheeple. We're all in rebellion, we're all wandering, we're all lost, and it's only Christ the Good Shepherd who finds us and brings us back to where we need to be. John 10 11, Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd, and the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep and He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them and he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. If you didn't miss the real important theme there, is that Jesus is talking about one people of God. I have one fold, this is the Jews, and I have another fold, the Gentiles, and I'm going to bring them all together, and it's going to be one flock and one shepherd, one people of God, not two peoples of God. Remember that. In John 21, when Peter is restored after sinning against Christ, Jesus uh three times says do you love me peter and each time says yes i do lord and says if you love me feed my sheep if you feed me if you love me care for my sheep feed my sheep love my sheep take care of my sheep peter they are christ's sheep the church is christ's sheep notice how the flock is described They are described as the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. When I look out at the audience here, I see the blood-bought sinners who Jesus Christ died for. The property of God. If someone said to you, can you watch my dog for a week? You said, okay, I'll watch your dog for a week. Rick gets that's Rick's business by the way but let's say you were just asked as a neighbor watch my dog for the week would you neglect feeding the dog would you let him outside in the freezing cold and not let him sleep inside if he got sick would you not take him to the vet of course not if you made an agreement because that dog it belongs to someone else that's that's their property The sheep of God belong to God. It's God's property. And as shepherds, as pastors, we are called to care for, to love, and to feed the sheep of God. Why? As I said, number one, because they belong to God. They're God's property. Two, because Christ purchased each and every one of us with his blood. And that is priceless. You cannot add a price tag Let's say you're caring for someone's dog and that dog runs away. I could always come back and say, "Yeah, I know you love that dog, but here's a thousand dollars. Go get another." You cannot do that with the people of God. These are the blood-bought people, the sheep of God. And then, thirdly, if pastors must remind, be reminded, and remember their call because they have been appointed by the Holy Spirit to be overseers, as it says here in verse 28. Paul says the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. It is important to remind ourselves as pastors the divine appointment. We didn't elect to be pastors. God elected us. Consider Moses' calling Moses may have sought to accomplish the purpose of God on his own by murdering the Egyptian, who he saw abusing another Hebrew. As soon as he saw his plan fail, he ran into the wilderness, pretty much humiliated, afraid, and realized there was nothing he could do. And he went out and lived in obscurity for 40 years as a shepherd in Mount Sinai, pretty much an unum, a nobody. He went from being the prince of Egypt and after 40 years of living in obscurity he became so humbled he couldn't even speak anymore. He, he stuttered and stammered. He had no confidence in himself whatsoever. And that's when God called him. And when God called him what was Moses' reply? Ready to go. Moses says get someone else. I'm, I'm inadequate. I, I can't even talk anymore. But isn't that where God wants us to be? God can't use proud men to advance his kingdom. He needs humble, broken men. Same for all of us. God cannot use us in any aspect of our lives. Sometimes we pray and pray. Maybe it's praying for the salvation of our children or our parents or, or trying to see a breakthrough in our lives, there's a pattern in our lives and we don't see any solution. I mean, God is waiting to break us, to humble us so we may cry out and truly seek him. No, pastors have an appointment from God. They've been mandated by God to oversee his church. It is a responsibility, a holy responsibility. Hebrews 13, 17 gives us the implication for the church on that. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account so I realize, Paul realizes that there's an aspect where one day I have to stand before God and give and count what I did with his property. Was I a good steward of his property? Was, or was I like, a, was I a shit? Remember Jesus gave the parable of, of the of the unjust or the, the wicked uh, servant? Oh, my master's late in his coming. And he started to beat the servants and drink and, and be careless. It says he appointed place, his place in the, uh, in hell, with the hypocrites cutting him in two. How do you deal with God's property? But then, on the other hand, Christians, do we obey our leaders? Do we submit to them? Do we make them serve with joy or with groaning? I want you to think about that for a second. Look at Hebrews 13 17. Let them do this, watching over you, with joy and not with groaning because that would be of no advantage to you. I speak to a lot of pastors. I have pastor friends and they tell me stories about members of their churches. And every once in a while they they have divisions and eruptions and upheavals and it causes their pastor so much grief. I've experienced it here at Grace and Truth, and I think any pastor worth assault salt has experienced it at some point or another. You're going to be testing. But as Christians, is that, our, is that what we want to do? Do we want to give our elders and pastors grief? Do we want to push the boundaries and test them? Do we want their job to be miserable and grown? Some churches do that. They push their pastors right out they make their lives so miserable and and you and you know anyone who's been a Christian long enough has experienced it seen it has seen churches push pastors out it's a wicked thing yes. it is a wicked thing you're messing with a man's life but i can say this anyone who interferes with the work of a man of god someone that the holy spirit has appointed to oversee the work of god If you are making that man's job miserable and making him groan and hurting him, you are hurting the work of God. And if you're hurting the work of God, you are going to find yourself at odds with God himself. No one who crosses swords with God wins. That man may not retaliate, but God will deal with that person. I don't think within this verse it could be any more clearer the urgency that pastors need to watch over and care for their church. Two things come out to me though here. One is 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 the importance of the of the trinitarian uh, um, implication within the church. It is God's church, Paul says. It was purchased by the blood of Christ, and it is the Holy Spirit who has appointed the elders and overseers of the church. John Stott says this, the splendid Trinitarian affirmation that the pastoral oversight of the church belongs ultimately to God, should have a profound impact on us. It should humble us to remember that the church is not ours, but God's. And it should inspire us to faithfulness. And secondly, reminder. At being a pastor as it says in First Peter 5 1-4 through 4, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that's among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not for domineering not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock and here's the key, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Thirdly, the third thing to watch out for. Remember Jesus, the good shepherd? He says the hireling sees the wolf coming. What does he do? He runs away. He Sees the wolf comes, says, I'm not I'm not dealing with the wolf. All right? What do you do when you see the wolves coming for your dogs? Yeah, <laughs> the pit bulls out. The wolves are always around. Verse 29, Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you and they will not spare the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. As Soon as Paul leaves, they're coming in. He I know it. As soon as I get on the ship and get out of town, there will be not just wolves, but fierce wolves. What do wolves do? They eat sheep. They're hungry, they devour sheep. When a wolf gets his teeth into a sheep, he rips it to shreds. And there are wolves in the church. This metaphor Paul is borrowing from the Lord himself because Christ said in Matthew 7:16, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits." So who are these wolves? They're false prophets. They're people who speak twisted things and they have one design to devour the sheep. To get a meal. And that's exactly what false prophets do. They devour God's people. They have private jets. They wear diamond rings. They drive in Rolls Royces because they devour God's people. They devour their pocketbooks. They devour their faith. They devour their life. Wolves don't care about people. They just want to satisfy their belly. Pastors need to be vigilant in watching for these wolves. They will not spare the flock. They will show no mercy. They will shipwreck the faith of believers and cause division and mayhem. And what does Paul say? He says you'll recognize them by these few things. Number one, they're going to come right from within. From among yourselves. The false prophet doesn't walk through the door and make it obvious he's part of the church. She's part of the church. They go to church every Sunday. They know doctrine. They they serve. They're, they're very, they may be very kind. They're very charismatic. And you, you embrace that person and they're one of our own. I think what's even more chilling is that Paul is addressing the Ephesian elders And I think he's saying from among you, from one of the elders. Just like, this is almost like Christ's final farewell at the Last Supper, right? He knows he's heading to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be crucified. And what does he say to his disciples? One among you is a traitor. And I think Paul is looking at the Ephesian elders. One of you is going to be a ravenous wolf and devour False prophets are duplicit. They wear the clothing of a sheep. They blend in. It's camouflage. It's trickery. It's hocus pocus. It's all an act. Because inwardly they're hungry. How do you know a false prophet? Very simple. They seek to make disciples after themselves rather than Christ. The true minister of God is always pointing people to Jesus. Remember we talked about Paul last week? He always points people to Jesus. The false prophet is saying, look to me. They don't say that. It's not going to come across that way. Because they'd be, they'd be caught right away, right? But by their ministry, it really is all about them. When you look about it, it's all about me, me, me. Look to me. Follow me. Listen to me. Because they're hungry for the praise and adulation of men. They need to feed on the people of God. They need need to fill their egos and stroke their egos. And they feast on the church to make that happen. So they come up with bizarre doctrines to distinguish themselves from the boring standard Christian. Oh, this is something cool and new. Oh, I like the way he's saying this. I'm sick of that old, boring preacher. Every Sunday says the same thing. Romans 16, 17 through 18, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. They serve their bellies, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. And the fruit of them is they speak twisted things, They mingle enough truth with their error that they confuse you and the naive fall for their trickery. That's the thing about a false prophet. You listen to a false prophet, there is enough truth mingled in, oh, they're not so bad. Well, they talk about Jesus. They talk about the Trinity. Well, they, they talk about salvation. My goodness, they preach the gospel. How can they so bad? And then, and then they look at you. Oh, you're so judgmental. Why do you pass judgment? They've tricked you. And that's the goal, to divide the church, turn brother against brother, sister against sister, and seek disciples after themselves. I recall years ago, back in the early 2000s, we were part of a study group, and, and uh, I had called out Benny Hinn on, on, on his false preaching. And these people got so offended, they said, how dare you speak against God's anointed? The last I check God's anointed is Jesus. I'm not a disciple of Benny Hinn. We're not disciples of John MacArthur. We're not disciples of Al Mohler. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. We must remember that. But we must remember that Satan and his agents will stop at nothing to destroy God's people because the chief wolf is satan himself first timothy 4 1 through 2 tells us the spirit says in later times there will be some who depart from the faith by devoting to themselves to what deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared false prophets are really just doing the work of their father the devil they don't belong to god they may say they're christians they may look like Christians and talk like Christians but their goal is ultimately to do what? To deceive and to disrupt and to steal, kill, and destroy. It's the work of Satan. And we should be have no problem calling it what it is. Let me conclude. Paul ends with a reminder to be alert. He tells them, remember for three years with tears I did not cease to admonish you. Be alert. Be alert. Be alert. Brothers and sisters, be alert. As a pastor, it's my job to be alert. Be watchful. Be watchful over yourself. Be watchful over each other. Disciple one another. And most importantly, be watchful for imposters. What is ultimately that gives the pastor assurance of his work? What do we have to rely on? Is it our abilities? Is it our cleverness? No, Paul says this in his final Farewell, He says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. It is the word of God. That's what gives me assurance. It is the word of God. That's what gives Pastor Paul assurance. It is the word of God. It is that which builds me and you up. It builds up the church and it glorifies God. If you're seeking to build your ministry on any other device, then you have missed the mark. It is only God's word that will build the church. And any pastor who departs from that and seeks to, to govern or seeks to minister to God's people in any other way, relying on his charisma, on his cleverness, on his personality, or on his programs, or on his beautiful team, worship team, has missed the mark. You see, the ultimate failure for ministers is not because it's not because they they didn't preach good. It's not because they weren't conscious of what God says in his words, because they didn't apply it. They didn't depend on God's word. It's our strength, it's our hope, each and every one of us. I hope and pray that through this sermon today and last week's, we're doing our Bible reading plan for 2022, join, get on, if you can't join us on our app, do it on your own, read through the Bible, commit through the Bible through a year, the more you study God's word, hear God's word, learn God's word, it's going to build you up and strengthen you, so that when those dangers are ahead, you'll be aware, you'll be alert, and you won't be like the fool who goes on and suffers for it let's pray. Heavenly Father thank you so much for this time. I pray dear God that your word would uh, fill our hearts with uh, delight and joy may we uh, live by these truths that we um, that we learn in Christ's name Amen.